Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of the Wellness Farmer Podcast, where your health is my focus. I take what has become too complex and help you by simply focusing on where health is found inside of you. So how do we empower ourselves to feel our best? With care of our spines, eating nutrient-dense food grown on fertile soil without chemicals, adequate movement, and natural internal dialogue. On today's episode, episode 209, I bring you an interview with, which I haven't done for quite a while, but with a guy named John Vespasian. You might remember him because I've interviewed him before. Well, he just published a new book, and on today's episode, he talks all about it. What I really like about John is, and his books is they are about history. So he takes history, things that have happened in the past, and he brings it into our day and takes those lessons from the past and make to make our lives just a little bit better today. Um, it's really neat because I've always liked history, so he takes that history and, and puts it into ways we can use it to make our lives better today. And, I mean, really, that's why we have a memory in history is to not repeat what does not work and to repeat what does work. So check out his new book titled Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. That's the, uh, that's the, the title of his new book, Undisrupted. So check that out on Amazon where, where you can find uh, that book. You can also check out the show notes and I'll have a link to it there also. So today is uh, March 28th. 2019, and I am Ben Page, your host. And before we get into that interview, just a couple things. Remember, if you join my email email list, you get a couple articles completely free, and, a, and the first couple of chapters of my book absolutely free. If you like what you read from the book, The Four Pillars of Health, you can actually get a copy at Amazon.com or from my website, PastelsBetterThisFarm.com. Also, don't forget that I'm on Instagram, so Ben Page DC. I'm on YouTube, Pastor Go to This Farm. And on YouTube, I have a new series about me and my urban mini garden, basically planter box garden, where I'm trying to grow some of my food. Uh, and you can see what's going on with that at, at my website, at, at YouTube, at Pastor Go to This Farm. I think I'm on. I'm actually on episode 14, so check that out. It's been going on for a little while now. And this latest episode, you'll see that I'm starting to eat some pretty nice hand-sized tomatoes. And most importantly, if you guys are taking are getting value out of this podcast and you want to bring some of that back, go to my website, Pastos Better This Farm. And at the right, you can there's a Patreon button. You can click that on that Patreon button. It takes you to a place where you can actually bring some of that value back towards me if you're getting value out of this podcast, which I hope you are. I hope you become uh, a better you, not only healthy-wise, but just a better you overall by taking what you get from this podcast and putting it into your own lives. If you want to work one-on-one with me, uh, get in contact with me from website, pastorsbetterthisfarm.com, and we'll talk about how I can help you, and we'll go from there. So if you want to work one-on-one with me, that's how you can do it on my website, Pastos Better This Farm. So before I get into this interview, um, just a quote, another quote from the Daily Stoke. It's pretty neat, these things. This is actually actually from Epictetus again. It says, for there are two rules to keep at the ready, that there is nothing good or bad outside my own reasoned choice, and that we shouldn't try to lead events 
but to follow them. And that was said by Picticus. And then Ryan Holiday continues to explain. He explains a little about it. He says, remember, each individual has a choice. You are always the one in control. The cause of irritation or our notion that something is bad, that comes from us, from our labels or our expectations. Just as easily we can change those labels, we can change our entitlement and decide to accept and love what's happening around us. I thought that was pretty interesting. It's we are in control. And what seems to be irritating or something that's bad, we can actually change that and accept it and actually love what's happening around us. Um, I mean, of course, there's extremes in, in both ways, but I would say for the majority of things that happen in life, we can actually love what's happening around us, or learn from that and, and, and become a better person. So today I have an interview with John. Like I said, um, it's been a while, so I might be a little rusty <laughs> on, the, on the whole interview. It's been a while since I interviewed. But I interview him about his new book, and go check it out. It's at Amazon. Again, it's called Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Can Deal With Disruptions. And let's enjoy this episode. But before I go into that, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, tagging me at BenPageDC, and I'll share it right back so we can grow and become just that much cooler of a community. All right, so let's get into this interview. Welcome back to another great episode of the Wellness Farmer Podcast. And it's been a while, but I am excited to bring back John Vespasian. He is an author that, and I have interviewed a couple, interviewed him a couple times about his books, and he's got a new book out. It's called Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. That's the title there's a lot of great stuff inside the book. Of course, we're going to be talking about some of it on today's episode. But before we get into the main portion of this podcast, I'm going to actually have uh, John just kind of give a short uh, who he is because a lot of people probably have heard about him on this podcast, but all the newer listeners will let John explain who he is and, and how he got to where he is today. So, John, if you want to take a couple minutes first and just kind of introduce yourself, and then we'll get into the main part of this podcast. <clears throat> Many thanks, uh, Ben. <clears throat> Uh, what I've been doing now for the last 10 years is to write uh, books about uh, personal development from a very uh, unusual perspective, uh, because what I do is to, um, uh, to go through uh, dozens of biographies uh, on, on events in history, uh, present history, medieval history, ancient history, and try to draw uh, principles that uh, we can apply today in the 21st century in the areas of uh, productivity, health, um, investment, uh, personal success, and I present in my books, I present uh, practical lessons uh, using examples and, and uh, real people. All the, the information that comes in, the, in my books is, is from real, uh, real life. And uh, what I try to do is to present it in a way that is very easy to implement and very realistic. Perfect. And what I've seen over the last couple of years, yep, it's been great information. Um, it's helped probably me more than anything, anybody else, just being able to read and learn what history is trying to teach us. And that's what we have, history. That's why we have a, a memory. That's why we have things in the past to, to help us become better people. I mean, I've read in a book where it was saying we don't have a, we don't have a memory to, to remember Memories, we have a memory to help us remember things that we shouldn't do. <laughs> and that's, and this, that's where we have this history and what you write down helps us to not do 
what we shouldn't do and do what we probably can do to help us live a more productive life. So this new book, it's called Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. So what, what made you want to write this book? Well, um, I got the idea from the book um, from reading uh, a biography of, uh, of a businessman. He lived in the, in the 19th century in Russia. He named, his name was uh, Mamontov, Sava Mamontov. He's not well known outside Russia, but he was uh, an extremely wealthy, a very successful entrepreneur. He had uh, uh, railways, and he was building railways uh, from uh, Moscow to uh, eastern Russia. He made a, a fortune, but uh, at a certain point, uh, he lost everything. I found the story very intriguing uh, because Mamontov, when he was at the top of his uh, power, he was in his uh, mid-40s, he got the idea of expanding his business. And he started to invest in, um, in uh, steel production. He wanted to make uh, engines, uh, locomotives, uh, rails. And he thought it was very easy. He thought uh, he could use his management abilities uh, to uh, expand his business. And it became, it became a nightmare. And he started to lose uh, money, uh, huge amounts of money in steel manufacturing. And then he made mistake after mistake. Uh, he started to panic. Instead of trying to, um, to stop the, the bleeding, actually to let uh, his steel manufacturing go bankrupt, instead of, instead of doing that, he started to take the money from the railway that was very successful and use the money to pay for the losses in the steel manufacturing. It's one of the horrible strategies that uh, I present in my book that you should never do this kind of stuff. And uh, it was not a problem if it was his own money, but the problem he had uh, shareholders and bondholders in the, in the railway that was uh, in the stock market. So they sue him. They filed uh, charges, criminal charges against Mamontov. And it was a very famous trial in Russia at the beginning of the, um, of the 20th century. And eventually he didn't go to jail, but he lost everything. He lost his houses. He lost um, all his friends. Nobody would talk to him. He was a very famous guy. He was a celebrity in Russia. People would just cross the street not to talk to Mamontov. He was completely ostracized, and he spent uh, the last 13 years of his life in total uh, misery. And I found this story very intriguing. Uh, how is it possible that such an intelligent, uh, sophisticated uh, man uh, was a victim of disruptions? And then I started to investigate uh, different biographies, different stories, to try to find the principles that uh, we can use in life to avoid uh, these kind of situations. So it all started by reading about someone that totally messed up, and then you found stories in history where it actually kind of teaches us not to fall into what Sava Monatov actually did. And so let's get into that. How can we prevent from disrupt disrupting our our lives? I mean, so we're all going to have disruptions. I mean, it's it's normal. We're all going to have moments, I guess we can call them, some people might call them crises, some, but we're always going to have disruptions in life. How can we learn from your book to help us go th get through them and become even better on the other side? So how can we be like the people that you, talked, that you talk about in your book? And of course, we're going to use some of them as examples, but how, how, can we start, how can we start off being more effective when those, those hard times come? Well, the principle uh, is very easy, and I just want to tell you a story of the principle. The principle is very easy. It's difficult to implement, but the principle is easy, and it's the following. 
in the in the 19th century, uh, there was a, a lawyer. His name was uh, Kowalewski. Uh, he became because he was very fond of the um, theory of evolution. Uh, he became uh, a paleontologist. Uh, he he went to university and he started to teach about uh, the evolution of animals. And uh, he came with a very fascinating theory about uh, horses, because his idea was to prove scientifically that uh, Darwin was right. And uh, one of the the, the intriguing uh, uh, questions in science in the 19th century is that nobody could understand, and scientists could not understand, how is it possible that uh, small horses, and if you look at the fossils, the prehistoric uh, remains of horses, they are very small. They are the size of a cat. How is it possible that uh, these small horses uh, became uh, the big, uh, uh, fast, uh, powerful animals that we know today. And in the 19th century, nobody could figure out a solution. Uh, people thought actually they were different species, that uh, the small horses, the miniature horses, they were different species. And only uh, Kowalewski came with the answer. And the answer uh, answers at the same time the question of uh, disruption, because Kowalewski is the first person in history who figured out that uh, these small horses uh, became eventually very big, uh, generation after generation, because uh, they have to deal with disruptions. They have to deal with, um, uh, with problems with the food supply, because the horses eventually, um, they run out of, uh, out of leaves, because they used to eat uh, uh, leaves from the, from the, from the um, trees. But the trees started to grow because there was, um, uh, there was problems with the, with the atmosphere. So eventually they have to change uh, their food supply. So they started to go out of the woods to go into the prairie. And there they had to run because there are a lot of predators, predators like um, uh, big cats. Uh, so they have to run. And they started to become very fast. They started also to become uh, bigger and bigger with each generation because the horses that uh, survive better to the disruptions are those that uh, were a bit bigger. So in the, in the end, uh, Kowalewski came with a principle, and I find the principle super important, that when you are faced with, um, with a disruption, with adversity in any domain of uh, activity, whether it's your health, uh, money, a career, whatever it is, you have to react from your strongest uh, asset, from your stronger skills. So the horses, uh, eventually started to run faster uh, because they changed uh, the way they run. At the beginning, they, they used to have uh, five hoops, and in the end, they only use one. So if you reduce, uh, if you reduce the, the surface of contact with the ground, they run faster. So they got bigger, they got faster. And this is exactly what you have to do when you have a disruption. You have to go to assets or to skills that you already have. The worst possible strategy when you're facing disruption is to improvise. Uh, in the, this is the, the, the example I put at the beginning. I mean, Mamontov. Mamontov was a very, very um, uh, expert uh, uh, railroad executive, but uh, he started to improvise because he got into a business he didn't know anything about. Uh, and eventually he panicked. Uh, instead of going back to his uh, uh, center of uh, expertise, his uh, railroad, he started to improvise and he made a mess. And this is systematically, when you look at the stories of people who, um, who are victims of uh, disruptions in any area, they always improvise. 
instead of going back to the basics, which is what you have to do, always go back to something you know, to places you know, to a skills you know, to a profession you know. This is the way to build your strength. If you improvise, you perish. Wow, and that and so you're talking about big scale. I want to give you an example of that just happening like five minutes ago. When I opened up Skype, I haven't so I haven't done an interview for a little while. And when I opened up Skype, I didn't see the record button active. So I was like, what's going on here? I, how am I supposed to record this? So what I, I improvised, and I hurried up and went to the website, and I downloaded the newest version, which is an unpaid version, and I installed it. Now it's saying I have to buy the, the version now. And if I would have just went back to my basics, and if I would have just called you, and saw that the record button goes active once I call you, I wouldn't have to go through all this. Now I'm going to have to probably send a, an email to the, the company that I bought the recorder from and see how if we can fix this out. But that is so funny. Even on the smallest things, it, 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 if we just go back to the basics, it, it makes life so much more simple and so much more easier. And this just happened to me. I joke, you know, I five ten minutes ago, right before we started recording this. So that is just so crazy how you were, we were talking about that, and it just happened to me in, a, of course, in a very small way. But it just happened to me, and I should have just went back, and I should have just waited till I called you, and it pro and everything would have worked out perfectly fine. But I kind of, like you said, I kind of panicked and like, oh, whoa, it's not working, it's not working. What do I do? What do I do? So I went and did something that I probably shouldn't have done, and now I have to. It's going to take me some time and some emails to get this whole thing worked out crazy how that works out and just like the big i mean even in the small situations it'll help us uh maybe not have to go through a little bit of pain <laughs> instead of when you do make a big mistake we have to go through a lot more pain but very interesting and i'm very excited to jump into this because not only so you're there in the book you talk about how wealth you talk about how to run projects smoothly and how to and well some of the things I would like to talk about and how to keep how to stay positive when you're trying to overcome these disruptions and let's get into that one first so you have an example in your book about how to stay positive when you're actually trying to overcome or you're overcoming these disruptions or these times that are very difficult in your life and what did you find in history that kind of helps us stay positive when we're going through these tough times yeah, there, there's a, a formula that always works, and I got the idea from um, uh, a guitar player. He was a very famous guitar player uh, in the 1940s, 50s. His name was uh, Django Reinhardt. He was uh, Belgian. He also went to the to the United States for a while. And Reinhardt, uh, he had a, an accident. He um, he was a gypsy. Uh, he was living in, in one of these uh, uh, cars that uh, they traveled from city to city. And uh, they didn't have electricity at that, at that time in the 1930s. Uh, they used uh, candles. So during the night, uh, I, nobody knows what happens, but one of the candles was overturned, and the, the car was was traveling, he got fired. So he got heavily burned, and he lost um, um, mobility in one of his fingers. And this was very, very negative for a guitar player because you cannot really play guitar with four fingers. So the question is, what do you do in this kind of situations? And, and Reinhardt found a solution. I found the solution super interesting because he created the principle. And Reinhardt did the following. Uh, he looked around to say, okay, what can I do? I mean, I want to be a musician because he was actually very talented. It was for him 
uh, the only way to make money because uh, for gypsies uh, without education, he was moving from city to city. He didn't have a home. Uh, the only the only way forward was to be uh, a guitar player. So he figured out um, what he could do, and he said, "Okay, has anybody uh, in history uh, been able to play guitar uh, with four fingers?" And the answer was no. Or could I play another instrument uh, with only four fingers? And the answer was also no. I mean, there was nothing you could do. But um, the, he write the right question and say, "How could actually uh, find a way to do it?" Um, even you have even you have to change uh, the parameters. So he figured out very cleverly that uh, if he played faster, uh, 20%, uh, 25% faster with one hand, eventually he could make it up. Uh, he could play more or less normally, uh, just faster. So he trained and trained and trained. He spent uh, six months training with four fingers, and eventually he was able to play the guitar. Uh, with four fingers on his left hand, and he played super fast. So when you hear uh, recordings from uh, Reinhardt, uh, it looks like magic, sounds like magic, because he was super fast, he played super well. But the answer when, you have, when you're facing this kind of situation is always the same. You have to see who has solved uh, similar problems in the past. They don't have to be exactly the same problem. So if you are sick, Sometimes uh, you will not find exactly the same example because um, you, may, you might have a, a rare sickness. But you can find examples of people who are in the same range of problems. And this is what Reinhardt did. He figured out uh, that there are other people playing a violin. Uh, people sometimes change the, the design of the instrument to be able to accommodate uh, their special situation. So he figured out, if I do it faster, I can, I can just uh, play guitar. And it's the same principle in every situation. If you're facing a financial problem, you're facing a career problem, try to do some research and look for stories, of real stories, of course, of people who have solved more or less the same problem. It has to be uh, in the same range. It doesn't have to be precisely the same. Could be in another century, could be in another profession, could be in another uh, context, another background. But if you find an example that shows you what other people have done, like uh, Reinhardt did, eventually you find the solution because you feel this uh, inspiration to be positive, positive in the sense of uh, rational positive, I mean, rational expectation. Because Reinhardt was not crazy. He realized that uh, there has to be a solution. So you just have to find it. And I, I would say that 99.9% .9 of all problems uh, are already solved by someone else. You just have to see how they, they actually uh, took action. And uh, the principle always works. It is very, very rare that you will find, you will have to face a problem that is original. In a way, uh, human experience always repeats itself in history. You just have to make a little effort to investigate, to find an example, uh, someone who has solved similar problems, and then you will feel very optimistic because you know that if you do what, 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 you will get the result you're looking for. Hmm. Interesting. And to actually get to that point, so do this, this, and that, and that, you also talk about in your book how, how you can actually run that project smoothly. So you, you kind of find out and you, and you kind of have some, you kind of have some, well, happy, well, this might work out, I might be able to get out of this funk. Um, and then how do you go about doing it? How do you go about 
going through this disruption and coming out on the other side better than you were? Or how do we sit, how do we get undisrupted? And you also talk about yeah, that. Th- uh-huh. Yeah, this is a, a story from the Middle Ages. Um, I, I look at uh, a very uh, intriguing story uh, about projects, uh, projects that uh, go through enormous disruptions. And the, the biggest disruptions I found were in the Middle Ages. If you look at uh, the cathedrals in Europe, the, the Gothic cathedrals, they are super, super tall, super beautiful. They're still standing after um, 7th centuries, 8th centuries. They're still standing. And they were built by very poor people and very small people. I mean, people in the in the Middle Ages, uh, they were uh, three feet tall. Uh, they were quite, quite small. Uh, this was the average uh, height. Um, and they built these amazing cathedrals. And they have to deal with amazing um, uh, uh, context. I mean, you have to realize, the weather was very cold. Uh, you could not work during the winter. Uh, it was minus 10 everywhere in Europe, minus 5, minus 10 the whole winter. So it was very difficult to work outside. Uh, you have to deal with problems of logistics because it was very difficult to transport uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, stones to build the cathedral. So you have to, f- to find a solution. They also have to find uh, a solution for the technological problems because when they went uh, from building uh, small churches, typical Roman churches from the 6th century, to build huge cathedrals. I mean, we are talking uh, these Gothic cathedrals. Uh, even today in the 21st century, they are not easy to, to build. There's very, very uh, high uh, ceiling. Uh, they have these very thin walls. Uh, they have these uh, huge windows. And they found solutions for all that. And it was one guy, his name was uh, Sougier. He was uh, an abbot in, um, in Saint-Denis, uh, next to, uh, very close to Paris. He put together a system uh, for managing projects uh, without disruptions. And before Sujet, uh, there were a lot of plans to build cathedrals, but nobody was able actually uh, to do it uh, because the challenges were just too big. And Sujet came up uh, with a very interesting principle for running projects. And I'm going to tell you what it is. Uh, because it's something you can use, I think, in the 21st century, you can use the same principle uh, to make sure that your life um, runs uh, with very few disruptions. So Sujier, uh, when he found all these problems, he made a list and said, OK, I have a problem with logistics, I have a problem with um, uh, scaffolding, because I have to build a huge scaffolding, um, uh, scaffolds for these small people. They have to really climb uh, 100 meters above ground to be able to work on the window. So he had to, to solve all these problems. And eventually, uh, he found uh, an answer uh, in the principle of working smoothly and continuously. And uh, in order to avoid, for instance, the, the winter, because the winter was the biggest problem, that uh, if you hire, uh, for a cathedral, if you hire 300 people, they can only work um, from May until September. Uh, because then it, it got too cold. So Sujet said, if I can solve the problem of the of the weather, which is a huge disruption, uh, then I can solve all the other problems. So Sujet, what he did is to figure out how to spread uh, the task he has to do so that people could work smoothly and continuously the whole year. So instead of having these typical peaks and valleys that you have uh, in uh, projects and then you have a lot of delays and a lot of disruption, what Sujet did was to organize the work 
to minimize any, any kind of uh, deviation. So he built uh, uh, houses for the workers. Uh, he organized the work so that during the summer, uh, they would be able to place the stones on the cathedral and to build the walls. And during the winter, uh, they work inside in the houses, cutting the stones. So he could just, uh, they hire these uh, masons and they spend the whole winter uh, cutting the stones to the right size. And during the summer, they just put them together so they could work smoothly. And in this way, uh, he was able to uh, surmount all the disruptions because he could always work with the same level of manpower, with the same level of, uh, of funding, year after year after year. And in 10 years, which is very, very short, in 10 years, he finished uh, the first cathedral, the first Gothic uh, cathedral in France. It was hugely successful. And then in the next uh, 30 years, uh, people copied exactly the same model all around Europe because they learned from Suger uh, the key uh, to running projects uh, without uh, disruptions. Hmm, interesting. That is a very interesting story. And before, I mean, of course, we're already, we're already running out of time because I try to keep this about 30 minutes. Um, this last question I have to ask you is is mainly for me. <laughs> I love gardening. And you, have, you talk about a guy named Joseph Paxton and how he's a simple gardener and how he, how he, was, how he was able to take that simple gardening and become uh, well-off through simply gardening. So I'd like to know that story. What happened with Joseph Paxton? Uh, Paxton lived in the, in the 19th century, and uh, he was uh, coming from a very, uh, very modest family. Uh, he had uh, almost no education. Uh, he became a gardener when he was uh, 16 years old, and he spent uh, almost all his life as a gardener. But he made a fortune. I, I'm going to tell you how and why. Uh, Paxton, uh, even if he was only a gardener, uh, he read a lot of books. He wanted to improve himself, but he had very few opportunities uh, because uh, in the 19th century, uh, you were a gardener, uh, as Paxton was. The only job was to work for one of the big um, um, uh, garden, one of the big parks uh, in England from these uh, mansions, from this uh, aristocracy. And uh, Paxton was working there. Uh, he became head gardener when he was um, uh, 22 years old. And then he could wait until he's dead, his, uh, I mean, 50 years later, uh, and he wouldn't be making exactly the same salary. So he would be living in a very modest condition. So he started to think, how can I get out of this, um, this situation? And the way he did it is fascinating because he didn't know what to do, but he was very um, proactive, very uh, ambitious. So he started to read newspapers, to read magazines about gardening, and eventually, uh, by just playing with different ideas, he saw uh, an advertisement in the newspaper uh, about um, um, uh, uh, these um, uh, glass constructions uh, where they put uh, flowers during the summer so that uh, they can survive um, the winter. Glass houses. Uh, and uh, he came with the idea, okay, maybe I could build a glass house and get the salary increase. So he ordered uh, some materials, and in a very primitive way, he put together a glass house uh, with some uh, plants inside. It was very small. It was crappy, but uh, he learned how to do it. So his employer was very uh, impressed and said, okay, maybe you can do a bigger one. So Paxton started uh, to, uh, to build in his garden uh, a few glass houses uh, put in some exotic plants, and eventually 
just by sheer um, uh, persistence, he got the idea that maybe he could build the glass houses uh, in the way that, that plants were um, built. Uh, because if you take one of these exotic uh, plants, they have these uh, radiating uh, ribs, and they are actually sustaining the whole weight of the, of the uh, leaves of the plant um, with a very, very small structure. And these plants, sometimes they are huge, sometimes they are one meter long, these uh, exotic leaves. And, and, and then Paxton said, maybe I could build a glass house uh, with a very, very small weight uh, without having to dig uh, foundations. So he did it. Uh, he got a salary increase. And, uh, and then he said, OK, what can I do now? Because uh, I'm learning, 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 but I'm not getting anywhere. He was very frustrated. And then eventually something happened um, in the, uh, around 1840. Um, this was uh, a, the Great Exhibition in London, and they wanted to put a building, to put up a building for the Great Exhibition in London, and they got uh, only six months uh, to put together, the, to put up the building. And it has to be very inexpensive, has to be very fast, uh, had to be uh, dismantled after the exhibition. So. All the big uh, architectural firms, they send um, uh, projects, uh, they send the proposals, but they were all too expensive, uh, too heavy, and too slow. And then um, um, uh, Paxton saw the advertisement for the competition. Uh, he was very skeptical because he said, I am only a gardener. How can I uh, design a building? But eventually, when he read that uh, all the proposals have been rejected because they were too expensive, they were too slow, they were too heavy. He made a drawing of a glass house, a gigantic uh, glass house, um, uh, which was two floor high. Uh, he presented this to the Great Exhibition Committee. Uh, uh, he proposed uh, to put it up in the center of London uh, to house all the uh, exhibitors. Uh, he presented uh, his proposal, and he was very uh, skeptical. He was very uh, afraid that he would be rejected because he was only a gardener. So in order to make sure that uh, he was not going to be excluded uh, from the competition, he, he was uh, doing something very clever, and he sent also a copy of his uh, design to the newspapers. So the newspapers published the design because it was very weird. It was a very weird building. And then, of course, the Great Exhibition Committee could not say that uh, they had not received the proposal because it wasn't all the newspapers. And eventually, they gave him a chance to build uh, this glass house. And he finished the project uh, ahead of time, under budget. And it was a huge successful. It was the most uh, successful uh, great exhibition in history. Uh, he got uh, 18 million visitors. Uh, and people just came to see the building. And the building was called the Crystal Palace in London. Uh, actually stayed um, in use for 36 years instead of six months because the design was so uh, fantastic. Uh, what Paxton did is very little, uh, little by little, to evolve from being a simple gardener to being uh, a designer of uh, glass houses, and eventually he designed uh, buildings. This is a story typical of uh, people who have to deal with disruptions. They are... Uh, dissatisfied with their situation, and little by little, they evolve uh, into something bigger. I have a lot of examples uh, of these uh, situations in my book, and Paxton is a fantastic uh, story because it was a guy with no education, uh, very little uh, schooling. 
He had no contacts uh, in the architectural industry. He was a complete outsider, a complete outsider, and still he became uh, extremely wealthy and very successful. Wow, it is a very neat story, and like I, it, and like you just said, there's tons of these stories in your book. Um, we're gonna have to leave it at that. Uh, it was great having you on again, John. It's always great. That's why I always welcome you back when when you have a new book out, and of course when your next one comes out, I hope to get. Uh, another invite because it's always great talking to you because I love history and most people do. I mean, they have a hard time studying it, but when they hear it, it's just so interesting to see what happened in the past. And now not only what happened in the past, but how we can use that to our benefit today. And that's just, that's just almost, uh, without price. And again, thanks for coming on, John. Um, any last words before we close this up? Uh, just to tell your audience, when you are, we are faced with uh, huge problems, huge uh, disruptions, uh, don't give up. The, the, the human uh, psychology is very emotional. We tend to become, uh, we go into panic, uh, we, we improvise. This is not the way to do it. Uh, try to think on your feet. Uh, try to be um, uh, optimistic, logical, find good examples, and then you will make it. Awesome. Again, thanks a ton, John, for coming out, coming on the show. And the new book is called Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. Check it out, and hopefully you can get yourself a copy of it and learn from history. Most importantly, put it into your daily life. All right, we'll see you next time on the Wellness Farmer Podcast. Okay.